0: Chapter X of the betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni, Translated by George William Fenshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10. There are moments in which the mind, particularly of the young, is so disposed that a little importunity suffices to obtain from it anything that has the appearance of virtuous sacrifice, as a flower scarcely budded it abandons itself on its fragile stem, ready to yield its sweets to the first breeze which plays around it. These moments, which ought to be regarded by others with timid respect are exactly those of which interested cunning makes use, to ensnare the unguarded will. On the perusal of this letter, the prince saw the way open to the furtherance of his views. He sent for Gertrude, she obeyed the command, and in his presence threw herself at his feet, and had scarcely power to exclaim, Pardon? He made a sign to her to rise, and in a grave voice answered that it was not enough merely to confess her fault and ask forgiveness, but that it was necessary to merit it. Gertrude asked submissively, "'What would you have me do?' To this the prince did not reply directly, but spoke at length of the fault of Gertrude. The poor girl shuddered, as at the touch of a hand on a severe wound. He continued that even if he had entertained the project of settling her in the world, she had herself placed an insuperable obstacle to it, since he could never, as a gentleman of honour, permit her to marry, after having given such a specimen of herself. The miserable listener was completely humbled." The prince then, by degrees, softened his voice and manner to say that for all faults there was a remedy, and that the remedy for hers was clearly indicated, that she might perceive in this fatal accident a warning that the world was too full of dangers for her. Oh, yes, exclaimed Gertrude, overwhelmed with shame and remorse.
1: Ah, you perceive it yourself,
0: resumed the prince.
1: Well, we will speak no more of the past. All is forgotten. "'You have taken the only honourable way that remains for you, "'and because you have taken it voluntarily, "'it rests with me to make it turn to your advantage "'and to make the merit of the sacrifice all your own.'
0: So saying, he rang the bell, and said to the servant who appeared,
1: "'The princess and the prince immediately.'
0: He continued to Gertrude,
1: "'I wish to make them the sharers of my joy.' I wish that they should begin at once to treat you as you deserve. You have hitherto found me a severe judge. You shall now prove that I am a loving father.
0: At these words Gertrude remained stupefied. She thought of the— Yes. She had so precipitately suffered to escape from her lips, and would have recalled it, but she did not dare. The satisfaction of the prince appeared so entire, his condescension so conditional, that she could not presume to utter a word to disturb it. The princess and prince came into the room. On seeing Gertrude there, they appeared full of doubt and surprise. But the prince, with a joyful countenance, said to them,
1: Behold, here the lost sheep, and let these be the last words that shall recall painful recollections. Behold the consolation of the family. Gertrude has no longer in need of advice. She has voluntarily chosen her own good. She has resolved... "'She has signified to me that she has resolved—'
0: She raised to him a look of supplication, but he continued more plainly.
1: "'That she has resolved—to take the veil. "'Well,
0: well done. done! well, well done. done!' exclaimed they both, overwhelming her with embraces, which Gertrude received with tears, which they chose to interpret as tears of joy. Then the prince enlarged on the splendid destiny of his daughter, on the distinction she would enjoy in the monastery and in the country, as the representative of the family her mother and her brother renewed their congratulations and praises gertrude stood as if possessed by a dream it was then necessary to fix the day for the journey to monza for the purpose of making the request of the abbess
1: how rejoiced she will be
0: said the prince
1: i am sure all the nuns will appreciate the honour gertrude does them but why not go there to-day gertrude would will willingly take the air.
0: let us go then said the princess i will order the carriage said the young prince but said gertrude submissively
1: softly softly
0: said the prince
1: let her decide perhaps she does not feel disposed to go to-day and would rather wait until to-morrow i say do you wish to go to-day or to-morrow
0: to-morrow said gertrude in a feeble voice glad of a short reprieve to-morrow said the prince, solemnly.
1: "'She has decided to go to-morrow. Meanwhile I will see the vicar of the nuns, to have him to appoint a day for the examination.'
0: He did so, and the vicar named the day after the next. In the interval Gertrude was not left a moment to herself. She would have desired some repose for her mind after so many contending emotions, to have reflected on the steps she had already taken, and what remained to be done.' but the machine, once in motion at her direction, it was no longer in her power to arrest its progress. Occupations succeeded each other without interruption. The princess herself assisted at her toilette, which was completed by her own maid. This effected, Dinner was announced, and poor Gertrude was made to pass through the crowd of servants, who nodded their congratulations to each other. She found at the table a few relations of the family, who had been invited in haste to participate in the general joy. The young bride, Thus they called young persons about to enter the monastic life. The young bride had enough to do to reply to the compliments which were paid to her. She felt that each reply was a confirmation of her destiny. But how act differently? After dinner came the hour of riding, and Gertrude was placed in a carriage with her mother and two uncles, who had been among the guests. They entered the street marina, which then crossed the space now occupied by the public gardens, and was the public promenade, where the nobility refreshed themselves after the fatigues of the day. The uncles conversed much with Gertrude, and one of them in particular, who appeared to know everybody, every carriage, and every livery, had something to tell of Signor such a one, and Signora such a one. But checking himself, he said to his niece,
2: Ah, you little rogue! You turn your back upon all these follies. You are the righteous person, leaving us worldlings far behind. You are going to lead a happy life and take yourself to paradise in a coach.
0: They returned home in the dusk of the evening, and the servants, appearing with torches, announced to them that numerous visitors had arrived. The report had spread, and a multitude of relations and friends had come to offer their congratulations. The young bride was the idol, the amusement, the victim of the evening. Finally, Gertrude was left alone with the family.
1: At last,
0: said the prince,
1: I have had the consolation of seeing my daughter in society becoming her rank and station she has conducted herself admirably and has evinced that there will be no preventive to obtaining the highest honours and supporting the dignity of the family
0: they supped hastily so as to be ready early in the morning at the request of gertrude her attendant of whose insolence she bitterly complained to her father was removed and another placed in her stead this was an old woman who had been nursed to the young prince in whom was centred all her hopes and her pride. She was overjoyed at the decision of Gertrude, who, as a climax to her trials, was obliged to listen to her congratulations and praises. She talked of her numerous aunts and relatives, who were so happy as nuns, of the many visits she would doubtless receive. She further spoke of the young prince, and the lady who was to be his wife, in the visit which they would doubtless pay to Gertrude at the monastery, until, wearied out with the conflicts of the day, the poor girl fell asleep. She was aroused in the morning by the harsh voice of the old woman. "'Up, up, signora, young bride. It is day. The princess is up and waiting for you. The young prince is impatient. He is as brisk as a hare, the young devil. He was so from an infant. But when he is ready, you must not make him wait. He is the best temper in the world, but that always makes him impatient and noisy. Poor fellow, we must pity him. It is the effect of temperament.' in such moments he has respect to no one but the head of the household however one day he will be the head may that day be far off quick quick signorina you should have been out of your nest before this the idea of the young prince risen and impatient recalled the scattered thoughts of gertrude and hastily she suffered herself to be dressed and descended to the saloon where her parents and brother were assembled a cup of chocolate was brought her and the carriage was announced before their departure the prince took his daughter aside and said to her
1: courage gertrude yesterday you did well today you must excel yourself the point is now to make a suitable appearance in the country and in the monastery where you are destined to hold the first station they expect you and all eyes will be on you dignity and ease the abbess will ask you what is your request it is a mere form but you must reply that you wish to be admitted to take the veil in this monastery where you have been educated and treated so kindly which is the truth speak these words with a free unembarrassed air so as not to give occasion for scandal these good mothers know nothing of the unhappy occurrence that must remain buried with the family however an anxious countenance might excite suspicion show whose is the blood in your veins be polite and modest but remember also that in this country out of the family there is none your superior
0: during their ride the troubles and the trials of the world and the blessed life of the cloister were the principal subjects of conversation as they approached the monastery the crowd collected from all parts as the carriage stopped before the walls, the heart of Gertrude beat more rapidly. They alighted amidst the concourse. All eyes were fastened on her, and compelled her to study the movements of her countenance, and, above all, those of her father, upon whom she could not help fixing her regards, notwithstanding the fear he inspired. They crossed the first court, entered the second, and here appeared the interior cloister, wide opened and occupied by nuns. In the front was the abbess, surrounded by the most aged of the sisterhood, behind these the others— raised promiscuously on tiptoe, and farther back lay sisters, standing on benches and overlooking the scene, whilst here and there were seen, peeping between the cows, some youthful faces, which Gertrude recognized as those of her school companions. As she stood fronting the abbess, the latter demanded, with grave solemnity,
2: "'What she desired to have in this place, where nothing could be denied her.'
0: "'I am here,' began Gertrude, but, about to utter the words which were to decide her destiny irrevocably she felt her heart fail, and hesitating, she fixed her eyes on the crowd before her. She beheld there the well-known face of one of her companions, who regarded her with looks of compassion and malice, as if to say, They have caught the brave one. This sight required all her courage, and she was about to give a reply very different from that which was expected from her, when, glancing at her father, she caught from his eye such an anxious and threatening expression that, overcome by terror, she proceeded. I am here to ask admittance into this monastery, where I have been instructed so kindly. The abbess immediately expressed her regret that the regulations were such as to prohibit an immediate answer, which must be given by the common suffrage of the sisterhood, but the Gertrude knew well the sentiments they entertained towards her, and might judge what the answer would be. In the meantime nothing prevented them from manifesting their joy at her request. There was then heard a confused murmur of congratulations and rejoicing whilst the nuns were surrounding their new companion and offering their congratulations to all the party the abbess expressed her wish to address a few words to the prince at the parlour grating "Signor," said she
2: in obedience to our rules to fulfil a necessary form i must inform you that whenever a young person desires to assume the superior which i am though unworthily is obliged to make known to the parents that if they have forced the will of their daughter they will incur the pains of excommunication. You will excuse—
1: Oh, yes, yes, Reverend Mother. Your exactitude is very praiseworthy, very just, but you cannot doubt.
2: Oh, imagine, Prince, if— But I merely speak by order. Besides—
1: True, true, Reverend Mother.
0: After these few words, and a renewal of compliments and thanks, they departed. Gertrude was silent during their ride, Overcome and occupied by conflicting thoughts, ashamed of her own want of resolution, vexed with others as well as herself, she was still meditating some way of escape. But every time she looked at her father she felt her destiny to be irrevocable. After the various engagements of the day were over—the dinner, the visits, the drive, the conversazione, the supper—the prince brought another subject under discussion, which was the choice of a godmother so they called the lady who was selected as chaperone to the young candidate in the interval between the request for admission and the putting on of the habit. The duty of this person was to visit, with her charge, the churches, public palaces, the conversazioni, in short, everything of note in the city and its environs, so as to afford a peep at the world they were about to quit forever.
1: We must think of a godmother,
0: said the prince,
1: because tomorrow the vicar of the nuns will be here for the examination. And- soon after that gertrude will be finally accepted now the choice shall come from gertrude herself although contrary to usage but she deserves to be made an exception and we may confidently trust to her judgment in the selection
0: and then turning to her as if bestowing a singular favour he continued
1: any one of the ladies who are at the conversazione this evening possesses the necessary qualifications for a godmother any one of them will consider it an honour. Make your selection.
0: Gertrude instantly felt that the choice would be a renewal of consent, but the proposal was made with such an air of condescension that a refusal would have appeared to spring from contempt or ingratitude. Thus she took another step, and named a lady who had been forward in attentions to her during the whole evening.
1: A perfectly wise choice,
0: said the prince, who had expected no less. The affair had all been previously arranged. This lady— had been so much with Gertrude at the Conversazione, and had displayed such kindness of manner, that it would have been an effort for her to think of another. The attentions, however, of this lady were not without their object. She had also for a long time contemplated making the young prince her son. She, therefore, naturally interested herself in all that concerned the family, and felt the deepest interest in her dear Gertrude. On the morrow the imagination of Gertrude was occupied with the expected examination, and with a vague hope of some opportunity to retract at an early hour she was sent for by the prince who addressed her in these words
1: courage my daughter you have as yet conducted yourself admirably Today you must crown the work all that has been done has been done with your consent if in the meanwhile you had any doubts any misgivings you should have expressed them but at the point to which things have now arrived it will no longer do to play the child the worthy man who is to come this morning will put a hundred questions to you concerning your vocation, such as whether you go voluntarily and the why and the wherefore if you falter in your replies he will continue to urge you this will produce pain to yourself but might become the source of a more serious evil after all the public demonstrations that we have made the slightest hesitation on your part might place my honour in danger, by conveying the idea that I had taken a mere youthful whim for a confirmed resolution, and that I had thus acted precipitately. In this case, I should feel myself under the necessity, in order to preserve my character inviolate, to reveal the true motive.
0: But, seeing the countenance of Gertrude all on flame, and contracting itself like the leaves of a flower in the heat which precedes a tempest, he stopped a moment, and then resumed.
1: "'Well, well, all depends on yourself. I know you will not show yourself a child, but recollect. You must reply with freedom, so as not to create suspicion in the mind of this worthy man.'
0: He then suggested the answers to be made to the probable questions that would be put, and concluded with various remarks upon the happiness that awaited Gertrude at the convent. At this moment the servant announced the arrival of the vicar and the prince was obliged to leave his daughter alone to receive him. The good man had come with a preconceived opinion that Gertrude went voluntarily to the cloister, because the prince had told him so. It was one of his maxims, however, to preserve himself unprejudiced, and to depend only on the assertions of the candidates themselves.
2: Signorina, said he, I come to play the part of the tempter. I come to suggest doubts where you have affirmed certainties. I come to place before your eyes difficulties, and ascertain if you have well considered them. You will allow me to trouble you with some interrogatories?
0: Say on, replied Gertrude. The good priest then began to interrogate her in the form prescribed.
2: Do you feel in your heart a free spontaneous resolution to become a nun? Have menaces or allurements or authority been made use of? speak without reserve to one whose duty it is to ascertain the true state of your feelings and to prevent violence being done to them
0: the true reply to such a question presented itself suddenly to the mind of gertrude with terrible reality but to come to an explanation to say she was threatened to relate the unfortunate story from this her spirit shrank and she brought herself to the resolution of saying
2: i become a nun freely from inclination
0: how long have you
2: had this intention?
0: asked the good priest.
2: I have always had it,
0: said Gertrude, finding it easier after the first step to proceed in falsehood.
2: But what is the principal motive which has induced you?
0: The interrogator was not aware of the chord he touched. And Gertrude, making a great effort to preserve the tranquility of her countenance amid the tumult of her soul, replied, The motive is to serve God and to fly the perils of the world
2: has there never been any disgust any excuse me caprice often trifling causes make impressions which we deem will be perpetual but the causes cease
0: no no replied gertrude hastily the cause is that which i have said the vicar in order to execute his duty fully persisted in his inquiries but gertrude was determined to deceive him she could not for a moment think of rendering the good man acquainted with her weakness she knew, indeed, that he could prevent her being a nun, but that this would be the extent of his authority and his protection. When he should be gone, she would still be left alone, to endure fresh trials from her father and the family. Finding, therefore, a uniform answer to all his questions, he became somewhat wearied of putting them, and, concluding that all was as it should be, with many prayers for her welfare, he took his leave. As he crossed the hall he met the prince, and congratulated him on the good dispositions of his daughter. This put an end, to a very painful state of suspense and anxiety on the part of the prince who forgetting his usual gravity ran to his daughter and loaded her with praises caresses and promises and with a tenderness of affection in great measure sincere such is the inconsistency of the human heart then ensued a round of spectacles and diversions during which we cannot attempt to describe minutely or in order the emotions to which the heart of gertrude was subjected the perpetual change of objects the freedom enjoyed by this change rendered more odious to her the idea of her prison. Still more pungent were the impressions she received in the festivals and the assemblies of the city. The pomp of the palaces, the splendor of their furniture, the buzzing and festal clamor of the conversazione, communicated to her such an intoxication, such an eager desire for happiness, that she thought she could encounter all the consequences of a recantation, or even suffer death, rather than return to the cold shades of the cloister but all such resolutions instantly fled, as her eyes rested on the austere countenance of the prince. Meanwhile the vicar of the nuns had made the necessary deposition, and liberty was given to hold a chapter for the acceptation of Gertrude. The chapter was held, and she was received. Wearied out with her long conflicts, she requested immediate admittance, which was readily granted. After novitiate of twelve days, full of resolves and counter-resolves, the moment arrived, when she finally pronounced the fatal, "'Yes,' which was to exclude her from the world for ever. But even in the depths of the monastery she found no repose. She had not the wisdom to make a virtue of necessity, but was continually and uselessly recurring to the past. She could not call religion to her aid, for religion had no share in the sacrifice she had made, and heavily and bitterly she bore the yoke of bondage. She hated the nuns, because she remembered their artifices, and regarded them in some measure as the authors of her misfortune. She tyrannized over them with impunity, because they dared not rebel against her authority and incur the resentment of the powerful lord, her father. Those nuns who were really pious and harmless, she hated for their piety itself, as it seemed to cast a tacit reproach on her weakness, and she suffered no occasion to escape without railing at them as bigots and hypocrites. It might, however, have mitigated her asperity towards them, had she known that the black balls to oppose her entrance had been cast into the urn by their sympathetic generosity. She found, however, one consolation in the unlimited power she possessed, in being courted and flattered, and in hearing herself called the Signora. But what a consolation! Her soul felt its insufficiency, but had not the courage nor the virtue to seek happiness from the only source where it could be found. Thus she lived many years, tyrannizing over and feared by all around her, till an occasion presented itself for a further development of her habitual but secret feelings. Among other privileges which had been accorded to her in the monastery, was that of having her apartments on a side of the building little frequented by the other nuns. Opposite to this quarter of the convent was a house, inhabited by a young man, a villain by profession, one of those who, at this period, by their mutual combinations, were enabled to set at naught the public laws. His name was Egidio. From his small window, which overlooked the courtyard, he had often seen Gertrude wandering there from listlessness and melancholy. Allured rather than intimidated by the danger and iniquity of the act, he dared one day to speak to her, the wretched girl replied. Then was experienced a new but not unmixed satisfaction. Into the painful void of her soul was infused a powerful stimulus, a fresh principle of vitality. But this enjoyment resembled the restoring beverage which the ingenious cruelty of the ancients presented to the criminal, in order to strengthen him to sustain his martyrdom. A change came also over her whole deportment. She was regular, tranquil, endearing, and affable in such a degree that her sisters congratulated themselves upon the circumstance little imagining the true motive, and that the alteration was none other than hypocrisy added to her other defects. This outward improvement, however, did not last long. She soon returned to her customary caprices, and, moreover, was heard to utter bitter imprecations against the cloistral prison, in unusual and unbecoming language. The sisters bore these vicissitudes as well as they could, and attributed them to the light and capricious nature of the Signora. For some time it did not appear that the suspicions of any one of them were excited, but one day the senora had been speaking with one of the sisters, her attendant, in reviling her beyond measure for some trifling matter. The sister suffered for a while, and gnawed the bit in silence. But finally, becoming impatient, declared that she was mistress of a secret, and could advise the senora in her turn. From this time forward her peace was lost. Not many days after, however, this very sister was missing from her accustomed offices. They sought her in her cell, and did not find her. They called, and she answered not. They searched diligently in every place but without success. And who knows what conjectures might have arisen, if there had not been found a great opening in the wall of the orchard, through which she had probably made her escape. They sent messengers in various directions to pursue and restore her, but they never heard of her more. Perhaps they would not have been so unfortunate in their search if they had dug near the garden wall." Finally, the nuns concluded that she must have gone to a great distance. And because one of them happened to say she had taken refuge in Holland,
2: "'Oh, yes,', oh, yes.
0: said they, "'She, she has, without, without doubt, doubt taken, taken refuge in, in Holland. Holland.'" The Signora did not believe this, but she had certain reasons for encouraging the opinion, and this she did not fail to do. Thus the minds of the nuns became satisfied, but who can tell the torments of the Signora's soul— who can tell how many times a day the image of this sister came unbidden into her mind, and fastened itself there with terrible tenacity? Who can tell how many times she desired to behold the real and a living person, for the company of this empty, impassable, terrible shade? Who can tell with what delight she would have heard the very words of the threat repeated in her mental ear, rather than this continual and fantastic murmur of those very words, sounding with a pertinacity of which no living voice could have been capable?' It was about a year after this event that we find Lucy at the monastery, and under the protection of the Signora. The reader may remember that after Agnes and the portress had left the room, the Signora and Lucy had entered into conversation alone. The former continued her questions concerning Don Roderick, with a fearlessness which filled the mind of Lucy with astonishment, little supposing that the curiosity of the nuns ever exercised itself upon such subjects. The opinions which were blended with these inquiries were not less strange she laughed at the dread which Lucy expressed herself to have of Don Roderick, asking her if he was not handsome, and surmising that Lucy would have liked him very well if it had not been for her preference of Renzo. When again with her mother, the poor girl expressed her astonishment at such observations from such a source, but Agnes, as more experienced, solved the mystery. "'Do not be surprised,' said she,
2: "'when you have known the world as I have, you will cease to wonder at anything.' The nobility, some more, some less, some one way, some another, have all a little oddity. We must let them talk, especially when we have need of them. We must appear to listen to them seriously, as if they were talking very wisely. Did you not hear how she interrupted me,
0: as if I had uttered some absurdity? I did not wonder at it. They are all so. Notwithstanding that, heaven be thanked she seems to have taken a liking to you and is willing to protect us and if we would retain her favor we must let her say that which it shall please her to say a desire to oblige the superior the complacency experienced in protecting the thought of the good opinions which would be the result of a protection thus piously extended a certain inclination towards lucy and also a degree of self-satisfaction in doing good to an innocent creature in succoring and consoling the oppressed had really disposed the Signora to take to heart the fate of our poor fugitives. The mother and daughter congratulated themselves on their safe and honorable asylum. They would have wished to remain unknown to all, but this, in a convent, was impossible. In one there was, besides, too far interested in obtaining an account of one of the two, stimulated as his passion had been by the opposition he had encountered. We will leave them for the present in their safe retreat, and return to the palace of Don Roderick at the hour in which he was anxiously expecting the result of his wicked and villainous enterprise. End of chapter 10